Welcome to the Kingsword Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be, God is God. Let's begin in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. We find in this passage that Nebuchadnezzar had made a decree that he must be worshipped as a god. He was mandating idolatry to be practiced in the land. Nebuchadnezzar made this decree knowing that it was against the laws of the Jews who had been living in exile in Babylon since the captivity began. He knew that the Jews who desired to stay true to their god would not be able to follow this decree in good conscience, but he made it anyway. Even though the Jews were living in his country, Nebuchadnezzar had proved himself to be hostile towards them. Scholars have estimated that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon for about 20 years at this point. According to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this incident of Nebuchadnezzar's decree took place in the 18th year of his reign, which was the same year, 586 BC, when he burned down Jerusalem. This is important context for us to understand this passage in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard this decree, but weren't able to follow it because they were determined to stay true to their God. When it was discovered that they were not following the decree, they were called before the king to answer for their disobedience. Let's go later in the third chapter down to the 16th verse. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake, and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. The crime of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego was made even worse by the fact that they were leaders in Babylon. This made their act of disobedience a high-profile crime because the people of the land noticed. Their punishment was being thrown into the fiery furnace, and even when their enemies stoked the flames and made the furnace seven times hotter than normal, they still made it through, and they were delivered unscathed. God was with them the whole time. Jesus was the fourth man with them in the fire, and he brought them out in victory. Verse 27 says, The fire had no power on them. We find a very similar account in that of Daniel later on. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, beginning in the seventh verse, it says, All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open, in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. The decree of King Darius is very similar to the decree of King Nebuchadnezzar. The circumstances that they created were the same. King Darius knew that the Jews living in Persia wouldn't be able to follow his order, but he made it anyway. Like we saw earlier, Daniel was determined to follow his God, no matter what. At this point, David had been a high officer of the Babylonian Empire throughout its whole 70 years. He was now second in command to King Darius. 
Many scholars believe that he was over 90 years old at this point. This makes a big difference in our understanding of this passage. When Daniel was discovered to be praying, he was brought before the king. The king didn't want to punish him because he liked Daniel, but the law couldn't be changed. So Daniel was sentenced to the lion's den. Let's go down to the 16th verse. Starting in the 16th verse, it says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake, and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought, and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, and went in haste under the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me, forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, was delivered by God. The Lord shut the lion's mouth by an angel and brought Daniel out without any injury. He brought Daniel out in victory. There's a lot that we can learn from these two accounts. They're very important for the days that we live in, as the government and the culture around us become more and more secular and less and less rooted in biblical principles, there will be orders and there will be new societal norms that we won't be able to comply with. When this is the case, our job as the people of God is to hold firm to our beliefs and to stand up for what's right. When we stay faithful in doing this, God has promised us that he will be with us and he will bring us out in victory. Our culture has been shifting dramatically. Now Christians are ostracized and thrown out of the public square. We as Christians are now going through the fire. But even though we're in it, we won't be harmed. Like the burning bush, we're within the fire, but we're not consumed. God has promised to preserve us. Isaiah 43 and 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire... Thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. The fire is uncomfortable, it's distressing, but it's necessary. Even though it's unpleasant in the moment, God will use the fire for our good. Because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Even the fire, which is meant to harm us, will be used for our good. It was at the burning bush that Moses' mission began to lead his people out of bondage and to the promised land. And in a similar way, when we find ourselves in the fire, God is with us. Jesus is right there with us the entire time. And he begins his mission to lead us out of the fire and to lead us into victory. God will never leave his people to be burned and consumed. He brings us out unscathed and unharmed. We can grow in the fire. 
The Lord uses it to refine us and to burn away the impurities from our lives. When our faith is tested and refined in the fire, we come out stronger and more mature because of it. The more that we endure, the more deeply rooted we become in faith. 1 Peter 1 and 17 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Once we've gone through the process of testing and refining and learned the lessons that God had appointed for us to learn at that time, we will be prepared to be led into what God has for us. Psalm 66 and 12 tells us, That was caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Right now, the enemy is stoking the flames. They're making the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. But the fourth man, Jesus, is going to be right there with us through it all. And he has promised us so. In Matthew 28 and 20, it says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Knowing that our Lord is forever with us and forever within us should give us hope and joy. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The next lesson that we need to gather from the accounts in Daniel is the importance of prayer. When King Darius decreed that there should be no prayer for 30 days except to him, Daniel wouldn't stop. He kept praying to his God three times a day because he knew at a time like that when the people of God are being persecuted, prayer is the most important thing that we can do. We're at a similar point today. Prayer should always be, and now more than ever needs to be, an absolute priority in our life. We should not allow anything to stop us from our prayer time alone with God. We need to change things through prayer. Our prayers make a deeper impact than we could ever fathom, and the effects of our prayers go throughout all of eternity. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. When we see everything going wrong all around us in the world today, and ask ourselves, what can we really do about this? The answer is prayer. Never underestimate the power of your prayers. Greater than any speech ever given and greater than any sermon ever preached is our prayers and their effects because unlike anything else, they are direct communication with God. It's conversation between friend and friend and that's what makes the difference. Even if you're not sure what you should pray for, that's okay. That's why God offers us the gift of speaking in tongues. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you have the gift of tongues operating in your life, as you yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit, He will give you utterance and you will speak as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.2 in the ESV, mysteries in the Spirit. This is a unique power that God has blessed us with, to not only edify ourselves, but also to edify others, especially when there's an interpreter present. And it's also for us to use in our fight against the enemy. If you don't speak in tongues yet, or are really at a loss of how to direct your prayers or what to pray for, all you need to do is simply to worship God. When you praise the Lord and glorify Him and tell Him how much you love Him and how great He is, you will cause the windows of heaven to open up and God will grant you the wisdom and the understanding to know what it is needful for you to pray about at that time. No matter what type of prayer that we are using, we must keep praying 
and we must keep listening inwardly for the Spirit's response. The third lesson that we can gather is from Daniel when he was in the lion's den. Daniel 6.22 says, My God have sent his angel and have shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me. The Lord shut the lion's mouth. This is an important fact for us to note. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in the 8th verse, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Sometimes in life, we're placed in the lion's den. We meet the enemy on the battlefield. When this is the case, the way that we overcome is by our resistance. Verse 9 says, resist steadfast in the faith. The word resist is the Greek word amphistomy, which means to set against or to withstand. And this was a Greek military phrase. Strong's Concordance goes on further to say that amphistomy is a conjunction of anti, meaning opposite or against, and histemi, meaning to stand, conjoined together into anhistomy. It means to take a complete stand against, a 180-degree contrary position, to establish one's position publicly by conspicuously holding one's ground and refusing to be moved. It also means to oppose fully, to forcefully declare one's personal conviction, where they unswervingly stand, to keep one's possession, to ardently withstand without giving up or letting go. We must resist the devil in faith, because we know that our God will come into the lion's den and shut the lion's mouth. James 4 and 7 tells us, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee. It's a promise. If we take a stand for God and resist the devil, we have to be strong and courageous, and we have to hold our ground. If you give the devil an inch, he will always take a mile. We can't give him any ground in the spiritual war. We resist him by not listening to his lies, not falling for his temptations and his tricks, and by being aware of his devices and deceptions. The better that you know your enemy's playbook, the easier it is to withstand him. We cannot allow ourselves to give up. We all share a common enemy, and we're all being afflicted. We need to lift one another up in faith and to encourage one another. The strong need to bear the infirmities of the weak, because when we together, as the body of Christ, resist the devil, we can cause the one who's persecuting the church to flee from our midst, and the Lord will honor our faith and our effort by shutting the lion's mouth. There's one more thing that we need to look at today. We need to look at how these two accounts in Daniel fit into the larger scope of Israel's history. Throughout the history of Israel, they were always surrounded by or warring with idolatrous nations. We also find that they themselves were not only susceptible to, but many times gave into the sin of idolatry. Countless times since Aaron made the golden calf in the wilderness and onwards, we find many times that the Israelites relapsed into their old ways of idolatry. When the Israelites were carried captive to Babylon, we see the paradigm shift. Instead of Israel being idolatrous within their God-centered country, we find them remaining God-centered within an idolatrous nation. The roles have reversed. This change is important to our understanding of these two passages. 
H. H. Haley, famous for Haley's Bible Handbook, speaking about miracles present within these two accounts, said, Let us remember that for a thousand years, God had been nurturing the Hebrew nation for the purpose of, through the nation, establishing in a world of idol-worshipping nations the idea that God is God. This is a crucial point. Israel was a theocratic society. With God at the head, God was its source. Everything else in the society was only understood in relation to the head and to the source of the society, which was God. Our society, although sharing many of the same foundational elements with Israel, has slowly allowed its theocratically based foundation to morph into a society rooted in secular humanism, materialism, and hedonism. The manifestation of this we see most clearly in the culture itself and what is deemed normal and acceptable. This change became very noticeable about 60 years ago, during the 1960s, in the culture revolution, and it has evolved at an alarming rate ever since then, although the true origins of this trend far predate the 1960s. This is how we have gotten to the point that we are at today, where good is considered evil and evil good. We've destroyed our culture's sense of moral standards and moral absolutes, and we have been, in turn, left with no real standard or no real standard of absolute truth at all. Everything has become so-called relative, which leaves us with a vacuum. We've made an attempt to remove and replace God. We've tried to put entertainment or sports or government or education in his place. But as we've seen over the last few years, none of these idols hold up under trying circumstances. We're then faced with a very critical decision. Will we continue down this idolatrous path that we've set ourselves on? Or will we collectively, as a society and as a culture, return to God, return to a theocratic, biblically-based culture that finds God as its head and moral compass? We have to return to the idea that God is God. Government's not God. Entertainment's not God. Education's not God. None of these other things are God, and they can never truly take his place. Haley goes on to say, Now God's nation had been destroyed by a nation that worshipped idols. This was plain evidence to all the world that the gods of Babylon were more powerful than the god of the Jews. It was a crisis in the people of God's struggle with idolatry. If ever there was a time when God needed to do something to show who is God, it was during the captivity. Strange indeed would it have been had nothing unusual happened. At least the Jews who had from the beginning been always falling into idolatry, were now at last in the captivity convinced that their own God was the true God, and they have never since relapsed into idolatry. Even as we continue to stand in faith and to go through the fire, we need to continue to pray and to resist the devil. God is already bringing about our deliverance. It's already begun. God is going to remind us that he is God. He's going to show it to this culture. He's going to show it to this land. And he's going to show it to his people. He does this because it's from this understanding that our God is the true God, that we receive the wisdom and the courage and the strength and power to stand up in faith and to not waver or to give up. Daniel, at the age of over 90, knew who his God was. He knew his God was still God. This allowed him to boldly go against the system without fear. He knew it wasn't Darius on the throne, it was God on the throne. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar on the throne, it was God on the throne. 
And when we, in a similar way, realize that government and entertainment and sports and the economy aren't on the throne, that it is God on the throne, and that he will forever be on the throne, we will have the strength to go against any evil decree of the enemy and go against this broken, fallen, and sinful system. When we truly understand that it is our God who is God, we become dead to the devil and to the world system because they lose their power and their authority over us. They can't control us anymore. There's nothing they can do to us. We're free. Man didn't give us our freedom. It is God-given, and man can never take it away. When we stand up for what's right in faith and refuse to bow to the system, like Daniel, God will absolutely protect us, and God will absolutely deliver us. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the wisdom and the courage and the strength to stand up for what's right in this life, Lord God. And as we proceed and move forward in faith, we thank you that your blessing and your anointing is upon our lives. Lord, as the culture and as the government and all different aspects of our lives become more and more secular, Lord, we make the decision to stand on your word no matter what. No matter what people around us have to say, no matter what our leaders have to say, we make the choice to stand on the absolute truth and the inerrant word found in the scripture, Lord God. And we thank you that you have given us your word, and that you have placed it not only in front of our eyes, but also within our heart, Lord God. And we thank you that you are giving us the ability and the power through your spirit to be able to stand and to do all to keep standing no matter what. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory, and we trust you for our deliverance and for our protection. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to know for yourself that God is God and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.